All right. So welcome everyone to this week's edition of the Commercial Real Estate 101 Meetup Group. Uh, for those of you guys who are tuning in for the first time, uh, we started this group back in April of 2023. And I'm, I'm sorry, 2020. And ever since then, we've just had a variety of different speakers come on to talk about a, a variety of different commercial real estate topics. And this is the last meeting of the year. So uh, congratulations, you've made it to the end of 2023. And what I like to do every year really is to look back and reflect on some of the top lessons that we've learned through just having phenomenal guests come on on the show. Um, you know, typically every year we have between 15 and let's say 25 guests that come on uh, the podcast and, and the, the meetup. And so I thought it'd be great to be able to condense some of the lessons that we've learned and kind of showcase that in a readable format. So I'm just going to go ahead and pull up some slides. And, and if you guys are listening to this in a podcast format, I will be also speaking about uh, some of the lessons that we will share as well. So so to start off, you know, the purpose of why we started this group in the first place is to become the go-to resource for people who are interested in learning about the many facets of commercial real estate. Uh, you know, when I first started in the business back in mid-2019, uh, there really wasn't a whole lot of content out there that, that could support those individuals who were looking to advance in their career in the commercial real estate space. And so I kind of sought out to try to become uh, the main resource that people could go to to learn about the nuances of the commercial uh, real estate space. And this applies not only just to brokerage, that, that's the vertical I operate in, but we've had people talk about, you know, the legal side of commercial real estate. We've had, talked about taxation. We've talked about, you know, uh, development, construction, technology. Really, we've had a, a host of different people to come on to talk about the different verticals. And so uh, that is kind of the purpose of, of the podcast, if you guys are listening. Next up, I just thought I'd highlight some of the the, the, the top, uh, you know, some of the growth we've experienced over the year, which has been amazing. And obviously that I'm super appreciative of all the people who continue to engage with the the group. So we've created over uh, 910 minutes of content this year. Uh, you know, we, we've had our followership on Spotify increase by 102%, which is amazing. I think now we're, we're at uh, 4,150 uh, 4, almost uh, people who listen to the podcast on a regular basis that have subscribed to it. So thank you for that. And as far as top fans are concerned, those are individuals who the number one podcast they listen to is the Commercial Real Estate Academy. So 445 of you, thank you, thank you so much. And this is just somewhat of a continuation of the analytics. As we from the beginning, we've had roughly 126,000 downloads up till this point. Our average episode gets roughly a thousand to really 1,500 listens, and then you know our Spotify impressions have gone on through the roof as well. So. Again, this is just for Spotify. This does not include Apple Podcasts. So again, just wanted to kind of showcase some of the growth that we've experienced and thank every single one of you guys for the support of that particular growth. All right, so now it's time to dive into the lessons learned from the speakers that we've had on the show over the last year. Now, we've had just over six, we've had 16 speakers on the podcast over the course of this year. So obviously I can't highlight every single one of you guys because we would be here for a couple of hours. And so what I thought I'd do is kind of extract a few episodes that I thought were particularly insightful. And then from there, we'll highlight the nuances of, of the discussion that we had for those individuals. And so let's go ahead and get started. All right. So one of the first episodes we did actually this year, which I thought was extremely insightful, was with Michael Arnold. Uh, he's he's a, a executive in L.A., uh, focused on strictly tenant rep representation. So we kind of define what tenant representation is. Really, it's when you represent or you 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 look out for the best interests of the tenant. Now, there's are some states where dual agency occurs, where dual agency being that you can represent both the tenant and the landlord, and as long as you operate within you know a certain vertical and you don't step on any toes, you can operate in that space and be compensated by both sides. However, he it only represents tenants. And the reason he just does that is because he said, kind of provided an analogy for us to kind of go off of, which was you wouldn't necessarily want a lawyer to represent both the plaintiff and the defendant, right? Because again, their best interests, they're, they're, they're skewing best interests. And so that's the reason he decided to only focus on tenant representation. Regarding his success in the industry, he was a rookie of the year uh, in his office at CBRE when he first started. And he attests, he, he, he credits a lot of the success that he had early on in these years to being disciplined um, in, in a particular vertical. And so he describes, you know, the prospecting that needs to be done on a day to day to be able to execute the business plan. And so he usually allocates a couple hours in the morning uh, to just do his 
outreach. And he mentions during that time, you shouldn't be doing anything else. So if you block out time from nine to 11 to reach out to prospective tenants, that's all you should be doing during that time. You should not be checking your email. You should not be creating marketing uh, material. You shouldn't be drafting LOIs. Your focus in that time frame is to reach out to your targeted audience or the, the individuals that you are trying to do business with. And so regarding the prospecting front, you know, his idea is that you don't re just reach out and ask some, something from someone, right? That that becomes very uh, transactional. And most people don't really want to talk to people like that because, again, you're interrupting my day to just ask me to do something for you. Like, who are you, essentially? And so what he talks about is providing value in the form of uh, information. So something along the lines of if, if you, let's say you're targeting a particular building, and you start reaching out to some of the tenants in that building because you, you just recently did a deal in that building, kind of enlightening those individuals about the fact of the terms of, of the agreement that you had with this particular tenant that you represented, or maybe you didn't even represent, but someone in your brokerage represented, that could be some somewhat of value to, to individuals. And over time, as, as transactions begin to happen in the marketplace, maybe that's a time for you to reach out and say, hey, just checking in. Again, I just want to let you know that down the street over here, another tenant you know, traded, and this, these are some of the terms of the lease that, that we got for them. And, you know, I'd love to sit down with you to kind of go over things within your lease agreement that maybe we can improve the next go around when you when your lease does come up. So, again, consistently fi figure out ways to add value to those individuals so that over time they do decide they want to do business with you. Along with that, you know, this is a key theme we're going to see throughout the, the, the lessons learned, but leveraging a CRM to collect data. I mean, data and information is key in this industry. Uh, the more information you have in your repertoire the more value you can provide to your client base. And so again, being able to have a repository of data where you can leverage to, to be able to best serve your clients is important. So whenever you make your calls, you can write down the information that you talked about during your discussion so that when you call again in the future, you have something to reference. Along with that, collecting data on leases. Uh, loans are very important, especially in tenant representation, because you know, let's say that you're trying to target a tenant in an office building and you know that that loan's gonna be coming due in the next you know, year and year and a half. You know how important maintaining leases in place in the building are. And so it gives you some leverage in negotiation. So understanding those terms can also be very important as well. Next up, he talks about uh, targeting properties with kind of a larger tenants, meaning that they take up a larger share of the percentage of the building. The reason for that is because you have more negotiation power. Because again, as I referenced before, if you're talking about you know, an owner who has owns an office building, for example, and there's a tenant in there that occupies 25% of the building and their lease is coming up. And let's say their note is due in the next three, two years because they have to refinance and a big piece of whether or not they're going to get the loan is that particular tenant. Think about the leverage you have in negotiation to come into the owner and say, look, you, you, you know, essentially these are the terms that we're wanting, wanting for this, this, you know, space. And if not, then we have the opportunity to move somewhere else that creates that that leverage that you would need to in order to really get the best deal for your tenant clients. And so that's one of his things is he talks about making sure that, that the percentage of space within the building is sufficient enough so that it becomes a negotiating chip when, when it comes to the negotiation you take on with the owners. So those are just some of the insights that he shared. Obviously, there was a lot more shared, and I did provide a link to the episode uh, here on the slide, and I will be sharing these slides in the notes as well. So if you guys want to check it out, feel free to do so. All right. Next up is Nick Grisanti. So Nick is a, is actually a colleague of mine here at the Grisanti Group. Uh, he's a phenomenal broker and agent, uh, and his specialization is land sales. And so during this discussion, we kind of do dove into the nuances of land. And, you know, what's interesting is most people think land, I mean, there's no building on it. So you would think it would be pretty straightforward. But oftentimes what ends up happening is land becomes super complex, in particular when you're talking about raw land that has doesn't have anything done to it because now you have a lot of different things that come into play. And so we talked a little bit about, you know, the, the ways that you can educate yourself on land and, and what it's going to take for you to be able to sell it uh, to developers and educate your sellers so they understand, you know, what they have, as opposed to just kind of shooting a pie in the sky and, and not really understanding what they what, what, what needs to be done to get that, that site ready to go as far as development is concerned. So he talks about reading the land development code. Uh, if you are in a municipality, uh, again, most municipalities have land development codes that reference, you know, uh, zoning laws. They'll reference building specifications. They'll reference a lot of things that you're going to need to know to determine how you're going to be able to execute a development on site. 
and then also he talks about uh, understanding what it takes to prep land. Just because you have raw land, you can't just start developing it. You know, if, if you have a, a, a forest and, you know, you're OK, we're, we're going to build a massive skyscraper in here. You can't. Right. There's there's going to be some prep work involved. You're going to have to clear all the shrubbery. You may have to run utilities to the site. You may have to run, uh, you know, sewers, for example. You may have to, you know, put, pull in roads. You know, there's a lot of moving pieces that that you have to do on the front end to prep the site for development. And so you really have to understand what it takes to do that. And then also the cost associated with it, because that's going to drive the price of the land. If the price, if the property is ready to go, it's a pad site. And you say, hey, developer, you come in, you got utilities, you've got, you know, your, your sewers run to it. We've got a roadway that, that's already allocated. There's right of way, easy access. And all you have to do is, you know, file your permits and start breaking ground. That site's going to be a lot more attractive and probably more expensive than a site that's, like I had mentioned before, it's it has trees all over the place. Maybe there's a blue line stream running through it, which limits the, the amount of land you can actually develop. You know, that site's going to be a lot less attractive and obviously cost more. Thus, the price is going to be lower as well. So you really have to understand the nuances of land in order to be able to sell it. And then also he talks a lot about the construction side because construction pricing and, you know, trends are obviously driving what people can pay for land because if construction costs are up, then developers can't pay as much for land as they could when construction costs were a little bit more reasonable. And then the timing of construction as well, right? Uh, there's there's loans that, that people have to take out in order to perform constructions. And if there's construction delays, then they actually have to pay more in interest and the, the burden of being able to develop the property goes up. Therefore, the, the land pricing is also going to have to go down as a result. So those are just a few things we talked about. And then also on the selling side, I mean, depending on where you're located in the, the country and really, I mean, I'd imagine in, in a lot of places, there are some sellers who are sophisticated, meaning they understand the nuances of land and development and, and et cetera. But then there's also situations where, you know, you have people who have inherited land from their parents and maybe they've had, you know, 50 acres or 100 acres or whatever it is. And now, you know, interstate's running through it and there's a lot of development moving in that direction. And it's kind of the prime time to be able to capitalize as far as a sales concerned. In those situations, you really have to be able to clearly be eloquent about, you know, what the value proposition is for the land and, and make sure that your client's expectations are set properly so that they're not, their, their expectation on pricing is not skewed. Their expect, expectation on timing isn't skewed. So that's where having the expertise of, of understanding the, the transactional market and, and looking at these transactions happening, working with a variety of different buyers and sellers can really help you because Nick's faced things in the, in the past where, you know, a seller sees that, you know, a property down the street is traded at, you know, $100, 100000 an acre, for example. And they're like, well, that property traded for 100000 an acre. I want my property to trade at that. But in reality, there's maybe more nuance to it. Maybe this particular property has bad access or maybe there's a lot of trees on site or maybe there's a blue line stream that runs through it that renders a good chunk of it undevelopable. Right. There's there's more nuances to the, the, that 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 land. And so maybe at that point, it's maybe only worth 40 an acre or 50 an acre. And you have to be able to eloquently say that to the seller so that they can you know accept the fact that that's the case. And so that's another piece of advice that he, he wanted to share. And then also understanding what types of development projects can get done. Uh, one of the, 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 the discussions we had was related to a, a residentially zoned piece of land that, you know, his one of his clients who is a uh, 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 build to rent developer. So they'll come in, build these homes and then rent them out to people. They typically can pay more than just the average home developer because they're going to actually hold the property and the economics of it are, is such that they can usually pay more per acre than than a residential developer. Now, multifamily developers typically can pay more because they have a lot more density when it comes to the site. Now, this particular site was not zoned for multifamily. Uh, it was zoned for residential, single family residential. Uh, but, you know, the, the seller, unfortunately, they saw the dollar signs and, you know, they, 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 this multifamily developer came in and said, hey, we'll pay you, you know, 20% more than what this build to rent developer is going to pay you. And the owners, because they were not really educated about what the probability of actually getting that project done was, they ended up taking that offer and it got dragged on for almost a year. Ultimately, they weren't able to get the rezoning done because, again, that particular area you know, there was a lot of pushback as far as multifamily development was concerned, and ultimately the deal fell apart. And then the market shifted, so now the price of that val that property dropped as well because of what what was going on in the economy. And so they lost their window of opportunity to be able to sell it for top dollar. And that's because they just weren't educated on the fact of well, this may or may not be a, 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 a 
a buyer that can actually execute. And maybe the, the expectations that, that were set on their side was unreasonable as well. So again, I, th I think that's just more knowledge to be able to be shared such that if you do decide to pursue these types of land opportunities, you really do have to under understand how to educate not only the sellers of the property, but if you're representing buyers as well, like developers, understanding you know what can actually potentially get done versus what can't get done. And so there was a lot of value shared in this discussion. Uh, I did include a link as well uh, for this episode, so feel free to check it out. All right. So next up, we actually had the honor and privilege of having Kyle Matthews on the on the podcast. If you guys don't know who Kyle, uh, Kyle Matthews is, you're probably living under a rock. But really, he's the CEO uh, and, and founder of Matthews uh, Real Estate. Uh, it's probably the fastest growing. If it probably likely is the fastest growing brokerage in in the world. Uh, you know, he is an absolute rock star, and we were able to touch base on some of his early beginnings, and then talk a little bit about. Number one, what got him into commercial versus residential real estate? He he played football at USC, ultimately graduated, and and decided on going into the commercial uh, brokerage space because you know he had a, a a friend of his who was able to connect him with a a, a, a successful residential broker in the space uh, in, in in where he was located, and he just didn't mesh well as far as the 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 way that residential transactions typically happen. Usually, there there's a lot more emotion involved and. He was much more, you know, investment centric and and understand understood that he wanted to be able to have a little bit more certainty as far as you know being able to execute on transactions if he was able to find an opportunity that truly was a good investment. And so that's kind of the reason he decided to go on the commercial side and ultimately had a lot of success. But early on, he describes the fact that it was extremely difficult for him. Um, you know, he was working nonstop. He describes coming in at five forty five in the morning, leaving late at night, like eight thirty nine p.m. And doing this five days a week and then on the on the weekends on Saturday, he'd come in for eight hours. So he was really grinding it out, just trying to learn the business. And a lot of it was just beating your head against the wall uh, to trying to get deals done. And so he describes how it took him 17 months to close his first deal. And again, as you know, in commercial real estate brokerage, you don't make any money unless you close a deal. So that's 17 months of not having income. It was a very emotionally draining and very physically draining on him as well. Uh, but he just he describes how it just requires the mental toughness to just push through it and to trust the process. And that's a, a characteristic that he says is that that's somewhat rare in people. And so identifying those those characteristics in, in his agents is where, you know, he's trying to, to to he's trying to refine the process to identify that characteristic in people such that he knows that he can de define success for them long term. And he's done a phenomenal job doing so. And so in this episode, we talked a little bit about you know, the approach that he that he tells people to take uh, the way he did it when he first started again, 100 calls a day is kind of his minimum. Uh, he would he would try to get five to six meetings with prospective clients a week and then present two proposals uh, to these prospective clients. And, you know, obviously, if you do the math over time, uh, it, it can add up to significant results if you're able to stick to this plan over a long period of time. Uh, the schedule that he that he took when he first got started and really continued along in his career, as I mentioned before, he got in at 5.45, 6 a.m., you know, stayed till 8.30, 9 p.m. And then on Saturdays, he worked as well. Uh, and then finally, as kind of the, the end of the podcast, we dove into how he was able to experience such sizable growth. And really what it comes down to is fostering a culture of excellence. So, you know, again, he describes the, the Alabama football team and, and explains that, you know, those individuals who decide to sign up and get coached by Nick Saban are signing up for something completely different than the average person, right? They know that if they go to that university, a, a, a 10 and two season, where again, there's 12 games, you know, you lose two games at any other college program is, is great. Like there, there's a lot of people that are obviously very happy with that type of performance, but at, at Alabama, you know, heads are rolling. People are, are really upset, you know, and again, the, it's just an unacceptable thing to go to lose two games in a season. And so, he said that's kind of a similar approach that he takes in his day to day with his business. He tries to foster that type of absolutely no uh, excuses attitude um, in his in his brokerage. And as a result, the culture has formed around that. And now those individuals who are attracted to that type of, of environment are actually seeking out that individual, seeking out that brokerage as a place where they can grow their career. And so he talks about finding the lions and then fostering talent in that regard. And that's how he's been able to be as successful as he has. And, you know, it's probably one of our more listened to episodes. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to it again, feel free to uh, click on that episode link. All right. So next up, 
is Krista Yaki. She's a, she's a good friend of mine. Uh, she used to be at our, our brokerage, but now she's actually at Core Real Estate Partners, which is another commercial real estate brokerage and development company here in Louisville. Um, one of the reasons I decided to have her on, and I've had her on several times in the past, and, and it's just because she's extremely relatable, relatable, and she does provide a unique perspective on how to get started and 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 ultimately succeed in the brokerage space. I mean, she she jumped in from a residential career into the commercial brokerage space. She really didn't have any connections in commercial real estate, and as we know, uh, oftentimes in the commercial space, it can be somewhat of a male-dominated industry. So. Having to contend with that uh, dynamic as well has been something that she's had to overcome, and she's done a phenomenal job doing it. Uh, but, but again, some of the things we talked about in our uh, discussion is that getting started is often not easy. Uh, you know, unless you have well-established connections in the space, maybe your family's involved in the commercial real estate space. Both of us were not from the area, and so she mentions how you know, kind of just establishing yourself in the marketplace is difficult. Uh, but one of the things you should understand and what you should stick to is that you just need to be yourself because anytime that you try to form yourself in a way that you think other people would like to perceive you, that's where it, it, it comes off as disingenuous. And oftentimes you just aren't going to be able to have nearly as much success as if you just act yourself and attract the people who are attracted to you because of who you are. So that was kind of one of the key things we talked about. Uh, regarding strategies that work for you, I thought that was a very important insight. You know, there's some people who are excellent on the phones and they want to get on the phones and, and contact people. You know, in, in, in our cases, you know, we've talked about it as, you know, canvassing, uh, getting out there and physically shaking hands and joining groups and continuing to engage with people on a face-to-face -face basis. That could potentially be a strategy that you decide to employ. Uh, in particular, if you really like kind of being in front of people at all times, that could be a, a particular strategy. Whatever that strategy is for you, you just kind of have to focus on trying to meet people and have conversations. That is the business of brokerage. And you have to find a way to build relationships, whether that's on the phone, whether that's direct messaging on social, whether that's physically meeting people by, by canvassing. There's Again, the, the business of brokerage and filling the pipeline is all fo focused on trying to build those relationships long term. And so those are some of the key insights we, we shared. Along with that, we talked a little about uh, becoming a market expert. Again, we are resources to our clients as brokers. And so being able to provide nuanced market data and nuanced market insight is only going to continue to showcase to our clients that we are truly valuable and we need to be that expert in their corner. And so we talked about, uh, you know, signing up for local publications. You know, we both subscribe to Louisville Business First. Uh, we both subscribe to a variety of different news platforms and follow along with what the economic trends that are going on. And that's part of being just an educated broker and being that type of resource. Along with that, we talk about joining groups. Uh, you know, Krista is the president of Women in Commercial Real Estate Group. You know, she's involved in other organizations as well from a nonprofit standpoint where she's able to showcase her skill set and, and her leadership. And obviously that's going to bode well for her in the future because of the relationship she's building through those experiences. And ultimately, she can provide additional context and insight to her clients uh, as a result of having those experiences as well. So. Those are just important things to take note of. And then also, I think one of the things that I think we really need to talk about more in, in these types of discussions is the mental health piece of commercial real estate. As we've described before, it's a very brutal business, and oftentimes it, it, it involves a lot of rejection. So there's got to be a way for you to be able to in, not necessarily internalize what's going on. You need to be able to find a way to kind of put up the the, the the guard and say, you know what, it's not me personally that that's being attacked because of these types of conversations that just aren't going the way I would hope they're, they're, they, they go. It's more so that maybe they're having a bad day or maybe it's just not a good time for them to talk. It, 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 lacking, getting rid of the internalization of some of these things is very important. Along with that, it's focusing on taking time to focus on your health and what you need to do in order to keep your mind right and your body right to be able to perform at a high level. You know, that, that means eating eating healthy. That means taking some time to be able to either meditate or, or go to the gym. I'm a big I'm a big avid uh, person who likes to go to the gym all the time. It helps relieve stress and helps uh, provide me with mental clarity. And so taking time to focus on you is a very important piece of this puzzle. And then also we talked about some of the, the tough clients we've had in the past and how uh, even in some instances where, you know, you're early on in your career, you're, you're, you're trying to make it happen. And you are working with a client that is just unreasonable or maybe they're somewhat abusive as far as, you know, verbal is concerned. 
I've had a client where that that happened to me, where they were just verbally abusive for whatever reason. They they had whatever issues they had. And at a certain point, it's okay to walk away. If, if you think that it's just not going to be a productive relationship, even though you may think that you need the business, it's much better from a mental perspective to just let it go and focus on people and individuals who are going to look to you as an advisor and not necessarily a piece or a pawn in, in their, their games. And oftentimes that's what ends up happening. You, you, you can't encounter people that operate in that way. And it's just not a very productive uh, relationship. So oftentimes it's just better to walk away. So those are some of the uh, insights we shared in this podcast episode. As we said before, there is the link right there for you. If you need it, uh, go ahead and check it out. <clears throat> All right. So next up is a friend of mine who is also a, a developer here in Louisville and, and really it's surrounding areas. Uh, his name's Will Bakaven. So he's actually a broker, investor, and developer. And as part of the discussion, we really focused on uh, sharing insights regarding the development process. Now, the reason I love Will so much is because, you know, he's very raw and, and honest about, you know, his, his background and, and who he is as a developer. And that, you know, he's, he doesn't have a huge team under him. Some of these larger development firms will have in-house, you know, counsel. They'll have in-house architects teams. Maybe they'll have even a construction arm within their business. He is a solo developer. And he's kind of learned uh, his uh, his lessons through trials and tribulations and just trying things out and seeing what sticks. And so he's he talks about a little bit uh, regarding the development process, that it's it is an attractive space to be in. It's a very creative space to be in. There's a lot of allure to the space. However, it is also extremely risky. I mean, you're talking about taking on a large project where you're going to have a lot of capital outlay and you're almost you're most of the time you're not going to have any money coming in from the investment. And some of this, some of these investments can even be speculative. So there is a, another layer of risk involved. And hopefully that also means there is a significant amount of reward as well. So, you know, as far as the discussion is concerned, we focused on getting understanding of the market itself. Um, you know, they were taking on a project in Lexington uh, previously uh, that was a, a multi-story office building. And prior to taking on that, that opportunity, they did a, 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 a a survey of the market. They got an understanding, okay, this is going to be a mixed use project. We're going to have retail on the bottom. We're maybe going to have apartments up top and then maybe some Airbnb components as well. They did analysis and said, okay, what's the retail market look like in this general vicinity within a couple of mile radius? What's the apartment situation look like? How much stock is of apartments are there? What's the average rent being paid? What's the absorption rate? You know, How much vacancy is there in the market? Will this new product be able to be filled within a reasonable amount of time? They looked at the Airbnb market and said, okay, what type of hotels are downtown? What's their average occupancy? Are there any other Airbnbs downtown? Is there a way that we can maybe, you know, creatively structure, structure marketing approaches so that we can get these filled on a more regular basis? And then what's the risk of just going straight apartment versus Airbnb? I mean, again, there's a lot of analysis that goes into these types of decision-making processes because you're talking millions and millions of dollars. And so that's one of the things he talked about is to really get an understanding of the market and look at the data heavily. Along with that, uh, he references reviewing the comprehensive plan. Now, the, what a comprehensive plan is in commercial real estate is that each municipality is going to have typically going to have a, a plan that is decided usually by the, the local leadership, uh, Metro Council, maybe the mayor, uh, where they describe how they want the city to evolve over a period of time. Here in Louisville, we have this plan called Plan 2040. So this is a, a, a descriptive plan that says, these for these different neighborhoods, these are where we envision certain things going. Maybe we're sectors there where there's retail, maybe more residential uses. Um, you know, maybe there's more industrial. Again, they're pretty cop. They're pretty comprehensive. Hence the name comprehensive plan. And so, by reviewing the plan, you start getting understanding of where the city wants certain things to go. So that if you kind of have that desire to build that product type in that area, you know that there may be strong city support to be able to get some things done. And oftentimes there's a lot of stakeholders involved in development. And a big piece of that is, is the municipal support. So if you can get them on your side, you know, again, that's just one less hurdle to have to worry about. And so that's why he describes uh, reviewing the comprehensive plan to make sure that, you know, you, you are at least in line with what's going to be uh, desired in that area. And then also he talks about riding coattails. Um, you know, Will is obviously, you know, he's not a speculative developer. He's not going to go out there and build a million square foot industrial building and hope a tenant decides to show up when they do. I mean, in order to really do that, you have to have seriously deep pockets. And, you know, again, maybe there's more nuance involved as well when you have 
that type of development. So he he doesn't claim that that's what he decide what he often does. But you know, oftentimes writing the trends of an area can bode well for you because now you're not the first mover where you could potentially get some arrows in your back. Maybe there's been two or three or four proofs of concepts in the market, and now you're just following somewhat of a a trend. And if you're early enough in the process of that trend, you can be pretty successful in that endeavor. And so that's kind of what he describes regarding um, riding coattails. And then finally, in, in the discussion, we also focused on communication, uh, not only with your investors, but also with lenders and GCs. Um, you know, anytime there is good news, bad news, sideways news, you need to be in constant communication with these stakeholders. Because again, that's what things go wrong when communication breaks down because people aren't up to date on what needs to be done, what expectations are, are being set, and ultimately things could potentially fall apart. Um, you know, also he talks about holding stakeholders accountable. You know, uh, Will's background is in financial analysis. He's worked at Morgan Stanley and various other places. So from the, the, the investment piece, he, he had that down pat, but, you know, and his, and his family did own a construction company as well. So he did have a little bit of experience on the construction side, but it wasn't nearly as much as a GC who's had 20 to 30 years of experience doing that exact role um, as, you know, in, in that situation. And so he had to learn about the different nuances of the construction process, how, you know, the subs interacted with the GCs, uh, the delivery methods, maybe construction materials, et cetera, in order to really understand the problem so that he could hold the GC accountable. And one of the main points of, 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 valuable information that he said is that you need to get your contracts right. You need to clearly stipulate what needs to be done and how it needs to be done within these construction documents and contracts, because at that point, that then you can actually refer back to the contract and hold the other party accountable if something goes awry and, and something isn't going the way it should, right? So he he kind of pushed very heavily as far as his recommendation that you should involve an attorney that has a very strong experience in construction documents and contracts uh, to be able to represent you as you're taking on any type of cons uh, construction project. And so those are some very valuable insights that he shared. Obviously, there were, there were many more shared in the discussion as well. So feel free to uh, type away or not necessarily type away, but click the link uh, in the description here to be able to access that episode. All right. So next up is Bob Knackle. Uh, so Bob Knackle is arguably the most successful uh, commercial real estate broker uh, really of all time. I mean, he sold over $22 billion in commercial real estate. I think it's actually closer to $23 billion, but, uh, but it's amazing. I mean, he, he is truly a, an unbelievable human being. Um, you know, he's just the amount of, the amount of willingness. He, he has such a willingness to share his insights uh, with the, the broader audience and really the broader commercial real estate industry. And with someone of that much success and at that high caliber of, a, of the profession, it's always just great to see the humility that he that he does carry. So it was truly an honor to be able to have a conversation with him. But really what we focused on is talking about commercial real estate brokerage. I mean, he's super passionate about it and he's really excited about being able to compart wisdom to uh, younger agents in the business to be able to kind of showcase that it's possible, what's possible. And so in this discussion, we focused on uh, understanding what it takes to kind of get started in commercial real estate and also, you know, be successful. Uh, you know, he's big into becoming kind of that go-to expert in a marketplace. He, he he always states, do not use ad adjectives because a lot of times when people ask you, well, how's the market doing? You may say, oh, it's doing great or it's doing really good, right? The, the adjectives, right? It's, but but what he describes is that you shouldn't you shouldn't say that. You should say, well, actually, you know, the, the, the market, uh, the average market rate for price per square foot is dropped by 4%. And that, you know, that the amount of transactions that occurred in this quarter is X, Y, Z, you know, he wants you to be very much more nuanced in the way that you answer questions based on the insights that you've garnered from the transactions you've been doing and really just watching the market on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, along with that, he focuses, uh, he, he really uh, pushes focusing on a geographic from geographically you know, he focuses on strictly Manhattan below, I don't remember the exact street. I think it was like 95th street or something like that. So he's very focused in a targeted geographic area. Now, you know, obviously Manhattan, you're talking millions and millions of people. So, you know, his, his, his footprint may only be five square miles or 10 square miles or whatever that number is. Whereas if you live in a market area, that's a little bit more spread out, or maybe there's not as many people densely populated in one area, then maybe your geographic reach has to spread a little bit further. Like for example, I live in Louisville, Kentucky. 
and we're we're roughly 1.3 million people in the metro area. So my focus area is Louisville and also southern Indiana that's part of the metro. And then also further south, you've got submarkets like Mount Washington and Shepherdsville. And even further south of that, you have Elizabethtown. And then an hour east, you've got Lexington. So that type of geographic area is what is the one that I focus on because that's where I'm able to cover, you know, a million and a half to two million people. And that that means that there's enough transaction volume in that market to be able to support the lifestyle that ultimately I want to achieve. And so, again, focusing on geographic area, but again, that geographic area could shift depending on, you know, what your goals are and really, you know, what if you're able to sustain yourself. Right. Because if you're living in the market that has 5,000 people, right? You live in a small town and there's 5,000 people in that town. Are you going to be able to transact enough to be able to survive, right? You have to be able to do that. So he talks about geographic specification and then also the prospecting plan. I think, you know, if, and he could correct me if I'm wrong, I'm sure, but but he, he focuses on trying to have 50 quality conversations with people at minimum a week. Um, and that's quality conversations. That's not dials. That's not calls. That is 50 qualified and, and, and meaningful conversations. And so, if you can imagine, if it takes you 20 calls to reach one person and have a quality conversation, you know, that's that's 20 times 50. That's a thousand calls in a month, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, uh, a week. Right. And, and, and obviously we don't know the numbers there, so I'm not going to speculate. But but again, that's the, the level of commitment he has to the industry. And he's been in the business for 35 plus years and he's been doing it for 35 plus years. So you can imagine the compounding effect. Uh, that that's resulted as a result of him committing to that level of excellence over a period of time. And so he, he, he talks about just focusing on the prospecting uh, as much as you can. And over time, it's going to add up to massive results. Another thing we talked about was navigating uncertain times. I mean, as of, as of right now, as we're recording this at the end of 2023, you know, within the last 12 months or really 18 months, we've had a significant uptick in interest rates. And so the transaction volume for these types of for commercial properties has dropped in some instances, as much as 70%. Uh, I think the average is 58%. And then for certain property types, it's even more. Uh, but again, it's been a significant drop off. So the pie has shrunk significantly for those individuals. And so even if you yourself are doing the work that you need to do, the results aren't quite showing as much as you would hope that they would show based on the environment that you're in. But what he talks about is that really to be able to get through these uncertain times, you have to be able to have a passion for the business, because that's the only that's if you don't have a passion for the business and you start facing adversity, it's very easy to just give up and say, you know what, this isn't worth it. This is not worth it for me. But if you truly have a passion for the business and you truly have a passion about helping people, you're going to have the staying power uh, to be able to navigate this, this particular environment. And again, the market is always cyclical, right? There's periods of time where you're in a trough and then you start getting out of the trough and, and really start to experience sizable results. And so he just it says that during this period of time, you need to be able to put yourself in a good position. That means sticking to a consistent prospecting plan, updating your marketing materials, getting more uh, nuanced as far as being a market expert, you know, setting yourself up for success so that once you get out of this lull, as far as transactions are concerned, you blow out of it like a cannon. So again, this is just some of the nuances we talked about. And again, if you want to review the episode, uh, feel free to just click the, the link below and we'll go ahead and get that going. All right, uh, we just have two more slides left, and then we'll go ahead and ask ask for questions. But uh, to start off, uh, this is a this is actually a really engaging conversation I had uh, with my wife, uh, Melanie Rivera. Uh, she was a, uh, a title agent at Bluegrass Land Title. She recently transitioned, and she's looking to get back into the, the residential space as far as brokerage is concerned. Um, but you know, during this discussion, we focused on dis uh, talking about marriage and commercial real estate. Uh, now, when we were when I first got started in commercial real estate, we had not been married yet. We had been together for quite some time uh, as boyfriend and girlfriend. And then ultimately through the last four years, we got married last November. And so we talked a little bit about the, the, the dynamics of an individual who is getting started in the commercial real estate business and how do you manage relationships with your significant other during that period of, of somewhat struggle. And so, you know, we, we, we talked a little bit about how I got into business back in uh, 2019 and how we navigated some of those early years. It was not easy. I mean, I think on my first year, I made $13,000. So, you know, again, you go from making well over six figures in your previous software career, and then you start making $13,000. Melanie, there's many been many times where she looked at me like, what are you doing, man? Like, you're, you're crazy. Uh, but luckily, she had a lot of faith in me, and we were able to navigate those waters. But, 
you know, one of the things that I always credit my ability to be able to circumvent those bad, not necessarily those bad times, but those, those low income times is that I, I, I bought a fourplex. So I bought a four unit property uh, located in on a submarket here called Louisville or old Louisville, I should say. And I essentially lived in one of the apartments and then rented out the other three. So that was one of the ways that I was able to mitigate some of the costs associated with just living. Um, again, my I didn't have a mortgage payment because the more the the rents that were coming in covered the mortgage payment plus a little bit extra. And again, there's there's maintenance costs and utilities and stuff that come up periodically. But again, it essentially eliminated our rent expense. And and my my partner uh, Melanie was actually had a stable income uh, at a at a firm. She wasn't necessarily making a ton of money, but it didn't matter because we really didn't have a whole lot of expenses. And so with what little money that I was able to make and then the money that she had, we were able to sustain ourselves uh, just fine. And, you know, ultimately we were able to save some money and we were able to eventually buy a house here uh, in, in, in a submarket called Jefferson town here in Louisville, Kentucky. So, and that's all through being able to house hack. Uh, and then, you know, the little money that I was able to make and save and everything else. And then, you know, as far as the discussion is concerned regarding, you know, marriage it's, it's communication. It's all about communication you know, in situations where, you know, things are going okay or bad or whatever, you always have to be able to set aside time in the day to have a conversation with your partner and put their mind at ease or, you know, have conversations and frank conversations about the situation. If things need to get done a certain way, it's just part of being in a long-term relationship and a long-term committed relationship. And so you, you never want to get to a point where you do not focus, you only focus on the brokerage business and you don't give your partner any credence because that's where relationships begin to deteriorate and, 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 and again, they, they just fail. So, you know, I think one of the things that we've done a very good job of, and, and hopefully we can continue this is that anytime we've, 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 you know, started a career or, you know, even, even in the early years where I was working a lot, you always make time to be able to sit down with your partner and just be able to provide them with what they need. Right. Uh, again, that, that, that communication piece is extremely important. So, we, we did have a really good discussion. If you guys wanted to be able to check that out, go ahead and click the link below. All right. So next up is Mo Regalado. So Mo is uh, the owner of Movo Media Marketing. She is a, uh, a social media guru and really focused on the commercial real estate space, which is one of the in interesting parts of this discussion is that most of her clients uh, are in the commercial real estate space. She's represented people like Bo, Bob Knackle. She's worked with uh, Rod Santamassimo in the past. So really some heavy hitters in the commercial real estate space. And so I thought it'd be a great discussion to be able to have her on, to be able to talk about, you know, social media as it pertains specifically to commercial real estate. And so uh, during the discussion, we talked about building a personal brand. Uh, you know, again, I think it's very important to kind of delineate yourself from your comp competition in order to do that. You really have to be able to uh, explain to the audience why you yourself are someone that they could potentially work with. And so that means that you have to kind of express yourself on some medium, you know, that, whether that's YouTube, uh, podcasting, uh, TikTok, whatever that is. You have to be able to put yourself out there and really find your voice because, you know, the way that I communicate and the way that I carry myself is going to be different than the way Mo does or the way that other people do. And that's completely fine because you have to be able to find your tribe. There's a gentleman, um, I can't remember the guy's name, but but he's he, I, there's this quote that he said that I, I felt super resonated with, you know, who I was and, and really anyone is your vibe will find your tribe. Right. So if you if you push off a certain vibe, those individuals who are kind of aligned with that vibe will ultimately find you. And over time, you'll be able to build a, a, re, a reputable and profitable business from it. So that's something to, to consider. Also, you have to understand who you're targeting, who your target avatar is. For example, if you're focusing on, you know, owner user industrial property, that's going to be a completely different individual than someone who runs a high end restaurant oftentimes. Right. Think about the images that have been created in your mind as, as a result of that. Right. So how do you talk to someone who owns a trucking company and they've you know been in the business for 20 plus years and they started from the ground and built up this this reputable firm? Uh, what, what, what are the conversations you're going to have? How are you going to express yourself versus someone who is a, a culinary chef? They went to, to culinary school and ultimately created a uh, recognizable brand where now they, they provide high-end dining experiences, right? The way that you're going to communicate with these two individuals is going to be a lot different. So your marketing message really has to be tailored to individuals that 
you know, and 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 where they are and who they are. So that's something we we did share. Also, we explained uh, stuff regarding telling a story and understanding a story arc. Uh, again, you know, there, there there's a lot of self promotional content out there, and that's okay periodically. But over time, you start getting drowned out with the noise. And so she explains how you should be you should be telling people about ways that you were able to solve a problem in a story. So let's say that you're working with someone who's looking to list their property for sale. You know, the, the initial problem is that they wanted to sell their property, but they just didn't know to how to go about it. Then you start getting into the, the process of you helping them out. And then maybe you get it under contract. And maybe now there's some challenges, like what were those challenges and how are you able to overcome them? And ultimately, what was the success story like? And then you utilize maybe a, a, a review or something like that. It creates this story arc that people get engaged with, right? Uh, before and after pictures could be very in engaging that way too. You helped someone find an opportunity that was kind of run down, but you were able to see the value and now look look the way the way it is, right? It creates this engaging story that people can connect with and engage with. And so that's something that she did, you know, kind of highlight was that you really need to focus on trying to explain the story because that's the way you kind of build engagement over time. And then finally... Uh, some of the discussions focused on being consistent with the way that you produce content, similar to the way we've described prospecting. Uh, content creation and creating a personal brand requires you to really get out there on a consistent basis. So what she decided, what she explained is that there's a lot of people who come to her and say, OK, well, which platform platform should I focus on? And she's always like, well, which platforms do you like to engage on? I mean, if you don't like engaging on TikTok, if you don't really use Twitter that much or if you don't use YouTube, then don't focus on those platforms. If you, if you focus on maybe you use LinkedIn a lot, focus on LinkedIn or maybe you're always on YouTube. Well, focus on YouTube, right? Those are the those are the platforms that you're going to be most consistent with. So those are the ones you should really focus on uh, your, your time on at least. So and then lastly, uh, once you do create content, uh, it's great to be able to also engage with other people and their content, because, again, it'll bring their eyeballs back to you, back to your content. And over time, you start building this community and this tribe. And again, you know, when you have built some of those relationships and you continue to engage with people, leverage DM, direct messages on these different platforms to be able to start generating opportunities, maybe grabbing a coffee. Because again, the ultimate goal for these types of efforts is to meet face to face. That's the best way to be able to generate business. So if you can find ways to continue to engage a broad group of people, and as they continue to engage with you and your content, over time, reaching out them in a direct message format or just giving them a call or whatever that is and scheduling a meeting, that's the most important thing you can do. So uh, we obviously had a lot more insights to share in this episode, but here's a link to the uh, episodes that you can see the whole thing. All right. So the last uh, slide that we're going to review today, uh, we saved the best for last, as they say. <laughs> no, obviously all the, all the guests were phenomenal, but I really did have a great conversation with Darren uh, Krakowiak, uh, he's actually a friend of mine. We, we've we've had him on the podcast in the past and we've kept in touch over time. And he's actually located in Australia and is trying to become kind of the go-to commercial real estate coach in that market. And he's done a phenomenal job doing so since starting the business in 2020. Uh, during this discussion, we really focused on ways to be successful in commercial real estate in 2024. A uh, big piece of the discussion was re regarding the, how the market has shifted and how there will likely be a, a significant dislocation in the market. So there's going to be a lot of people that probably don't make it out of this out of this uh, situation. And if you're willing to have the staying power and you're passionate about the business and you're able to navigate these murky waters, you could have a significant opportunity to become the next to grow to the next level in your career in these coming years as the market begins to improve. And so, kind of similar to what we've discussed in a variety of different. Uh, episodes, sticking to a productive routine. Oftentimes that incorporates prospecting and, and, and consistent outreach. Um, you know, I think it's a very important, I think it's a very important thing to do and really understand that, that you need to be able to have a routine. You can't just address the day by just addressing whatever comes your way. You really have to find a way to be able to sit down and focus on something and do something consistently over time in order to make sure that you can uh, produce uh, the, the desired result over a period of time. And that incorporates prospecting, content creation. So he's focused on a variety of uh, platforms and then marketing. Uh, oftentimes he talks about sending physical mail to people uh, can be extremely effective as well. And then finally, uh, obviously the big piece of what he does is work with commercial real estate leaders. So we talked about a little bit 
uh, regarding building your team and understanding how to manage your team such that you can come out of this situation or come out of this environment even more successful than you were before. Uh, first and foremost is trusting your team members. So don't micromanage. Uh, it's very easy for top performers who have been successful in one, one vertical for a long period of time to get frustrated with people that they're starting to work with because they're not doing it as well as they would like it done. Uh, and they think no one can do it as well as I can. And so oftentimes they micromanage those individuals and then they end up doing the work themselves anyway. So it kind of defeats the purpose of bringing people on as far as being your team member is concerned. So understanding that you need to be able to trust individuals to be able to execute on the task at hand. And then you you provide feedback here and there. And over time, they'll hopefully be able to fill that that role. But if they can't, for whatever reason, then at that point, you can decide to move on and and find someone else to be able to um you know fill that role along with that in a situation where we are in a environment like this it's it's a very tumultuous environment you got to lead by example you got to be in the office early you got to be putting in the work and you got to showcase that you're that you're calm under pressure because if you yourself are freaking out about what's going on in the environment you you could pass that along to your agents and Ultimately, over time, they may decide to abandon ship or do something else because they see their leader not being that that kind of guiding light uh, in, in, in the storm. And so understanding that it's important to be calm and lead by example is also very important. And then, you know, the theme of continuous improvement, continually educating yourself is an extremely important piece of this puzzle. In order to be a leader, you always have to be evolving and growing. In order to do that, you have to stay on top of trends. You have to educate yourself about the commercial real estate market and really other markets as well to kind of become a very well-rounded and nuanced individual. And so I found this discussion extremely insightful. Here's the link to be able to access the full episode and looking forward to hearing about uh, what that looks like for you guys. All right. So we've come to the end of the discussion. Obviously, we greatly appreciate everything that you guys have done for this, this show over the course of a year. You know, we've, we've had significant amount of engagement and we're looking forward to continuing to grow this, this podcast in 2024 and beyond. Uh, if you guys are watching this live, I'd love to be able to hear your feedback or your insights about some of the top lessons you learned from the podcast or really the top lessons you've learned in general. I think it's going to be extremely important for us to be able to learn from one another going forward. So if you guys have a chance, please type away in the chat box or, you know, if, if you guys are watching this uh, at a later date, please share the insights that you've learned throughout 2023 so that we can, you know, people who are continuing engaging and watching this podcast, we can review the, the comments you have in on YouTube or uh, Spotify or, or Apple podcast, and then hopefully apply it to our business as well. So, all right. Well, again, as I said before, thank you all so much for, for tuning in and stopping by. We greatly appreciate the support. Continue to come back, continue to engage. Uh, we're looking forward to, to, to delivering more great content in the new year. Uh, thanks again so much for tuning in and we'll see you all next time.